The Bible reading for tonight is from 1 John 4, verses 7 to 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Good evening, everyone, and uh, welcome to church. It's so good uh, to have you with us. My name's Travis, if we haven't met. We've been going through the letter of 1 John, and tonight we're at this great idea of love. What it actually means, what it looks like to love each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord. So for me, coming towards this, I always think this is one of the really simplest messages to preach. It's like a gift, right? Like it's so easy to explain, love each other, and it's so easy to understand, isn't it? Like we're all on the same page, and we know what I'm about to say uh, anyway, and hopefully, maybe the chance is you already agree that maybe we should probably be doing this more than we currently are, right? Is that fair to say? Right, so, so we're all on the same page, but I get that it's also one of the hardest because it's a message that we've heard over and over again and we can lose it, become numb to it. There are times where our earthly experience of human love has disappointed, has fallen short of the mark and has actually kind of left us with these twisted, almost jaded feelings towards even expressing love towards others. Or for others of us, we've actually tried to love others well and carry the hurt and the scars that it hasn't been received well or it hasn't been reciprocated. And yet, to love each other and love each other well is one of the core elements of the calling on our lives as believers. Uh, it's even up there uh, on our wall. This is a commitment we made as a church uh, a couple of years ago, that we are a community who are learning to live and to love like Jesus. Uh, loving others is an inescapable priority of God's word, and John will not let the church off the hook on this one, and he's not going to let us off the hook on this one either. 
So as we start, I thought it'd be awesome if you could just put your hands, just so I know where we're all standing up, put your hands up nice and high if you've ever heard a message on loving others before. Back to that might be the case. Now keep them up. You've all heard a message on loving others. Keep your hand up if you ever felt prompted or convicted in one of those messages to love people better. Wow, you all have heard from the living God. I reckon that's pretty cool. You should actually acknowledge that, that God's word is living and active and he's still speaking. Keep your hand up if you feel that you so thoroughly put that message into practice that you so perfectly love others now that you don't need to hear another message on loving others. (laughs) Don't worry, I had a quick retort loaded just in case anyone did. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. There's something so fundamental to expressing our faith and our community life together, and something that often we have felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to to press into does need constant reinforcing in our lives, doesn't it? Like our hearts need constant realigning uh, to, to God's Word to be living this out. And so John is writing to churches who probably would have answered those questions a similar sort of way. And so he writes in chapter 3, this is verse 11 of chapter 3, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, love each other. We should love one another. So so as far as John is concerned, he's not writing anything new. He's not expecting someone to receive his letter and be like, new teaching from the Apostle John. Right? They've already heard it and heard it right back at the beginning about what it means to follow Jesus and to be his church. And so he writes in our Bible reading in 4 verse 7, he says, so dear friends, let's actually do this, hey? Let's actually live this out. Dear friends, let us love one another. And not just have the good intention to do so, not just be able to talk a good game about, well, at our church, we're going to love each other really well, but he's already covered that in chapter 3. Let us love not just with words and speech, but with actions and in truth. Now, who doesn't want that for our community of faith here? We're brothers and sisters where we gather together and we love on each other in in a Jesus-shaped, biblical, robust way. Can you imagine if someone would walk into our community of faith here for the first time and see something about the way that we greet each other, treat each other, talk to one another, pray with one another, express practical support and care for one another and just go, man, there is something different about you guys because of your relationship with Jesus. And if that's what it means to be a Christian, I want to find out more. And the way that you're loving each other, man, I actually want that. I want to participate. I want to experience whatever it is that you've got going on in this community. Would that be cool? Would that be cool? Yes. It would be cool. Okay. Is that what's going on here? Yeah, we're doing all right. Well, we can grow. We can grow. I would love if that was true, if this biblical picture of the church in action, loving one another, doing life with one another, expressing that in words and in actions and in truth was just so normal and so radical that other people who come in and observe us or hear stories that emanate out of this place or come and actually witness it themselves are caught up in this kind of community of love as we live this out. And every now and again, we get a taste of it, don't we? We get a taste of it here, we get a taste of it in our love and action, we get a taste of it throughout the year in different programs or, or small groups. One of the stories that just sticks in my mind was from, from quite a few years ago, where I was living in this big group house, and our heart in moving in together was to live out Christian community. Like, like each of us had come to separate convictions, and were feeling encouraged and inspired, because we'd been preaching through the book of Acts, and seeing what the early church was doing, and just go, there is something about Christian 
Christian community that is so amazing that we read in the scriptures and that we read in the history books and is a great reason for the the crazy expanse of the church in that first century. And we feel that Western Christianity is just missing it. We're just that little bit too individualistic. We're that little bit too contained and our walls are up and we just wanted to give it a red hot shot. And so I remember this one Sunday night after a crazy day of, of doing church, heading home, and I'm an introvert, part of my sleeve, introvert, definitely an introvert. And so after a long day of, of anything, but especially anything involving people, my people tank is, yeah, yeah, introverts in, in the room know what I'm saying. So at this particular Sunday, my housemates had decided to invite half the church back. <laughs> so I was, of course, one of the last people to leave church, locked it up, jumped in my car, and, and, and I drove home. Someone had left my car spot free in the driveway, which I immediately received as an act of deep brotherly affection in the Lord. So I was like, praise be to Jesus. And then I remember actually just walking up to my door um, because the door was wide open in the street. So anyone walking past or driving past would just see this open door. And it was a big door, let me assure you. And there were all these shoes out the front and and into the foyer. So obviously the first person there that day had decided we were a shoes off house and just taken their shoes off. So everyone else had followed it, trying to be respectful of our house. We weren't a shoes off household. But anyways, so I'm sitting there like climbing over all the shoes that represented somebody that was in the house. And just my heart was moved, just moved as I, as I stepped in and I just surveyed what was going on. And, and I looked around, I looked in, in this room, there's people just, just talking and laughing and playing games. People out, out the back are sitting around a table and they're having some super deep DNM, like spiritualizing. How's your spiritual life going? And there was um, someone over there actually explaining to someone who was new to church and new to faith some of the things that I'd obviously said that I hadn't explained very well in the sermon and doing that journey with them. There was this guy there, he was the younger brother of someone who'd been coming to our church and he was really And he'd been coming for a couple of weeks and he wasn't just hanging out with his brother, but everyone actually enfolded him and said, oh, you come and play a game with us. And I remember standing there just looking through this house and just feeling this profound sense of rightness, that what's going on in this place and in this time is right. This is how it should be brothers and sisters gathering together. There were people in our kitchen cooking stuff. I don't know who they were or where they came from or why they brought their stuff, but you just go like, there was just this sense of we are going to be in this together and we're going to love on each other and we're going to express that in this beautiful way. I just remember being profoundly moved by, like that's not obviously the sum total of what Christian love looks like, a bunch of people hanging out in a house, but what was going on there, I think was some of what John is getting at there. And for me, the crazy thing is that that story sticks out and it sticks in my mind because that's not always the norm. It wasn't then and I don't know if it is now. I think we often can default to equating love to being polite to each other on a Sunday, being nice to each other when we see each other in the shops. Well, we think that a loving Christian community is simply the one that has no politics in the leadership or any conflict between church members. I think too often we're content to think that we're winning the war when we simply coexist peacefully, belonging individually to the same church and happy to leave our relationships at that surface level where it's neat and they don't demand anything of us. When we sit in the same circle of close friends each week and every now and again we go out of our way to do something nice for someone else and feel that we've ticked that Christian box and aren't we loving people. And then I have Jesus' words ringing in my ears that John has already written in his gospel. John 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so that's the measure that we're to love each other, as Jesus has loved us, so must we love one another. And it's by this that everyone will know that we are his disciples if we love one another. 
Hands up if you know that verse. Yeah? Niceness, politeness, coexisting peacefully. I know that's all a step in the right direction, but that's not going to get the world sitting up and taking notice of what's going amongst that community of believers, yeah? That's not going to get people outside the church talking about what is going on inside of the church. But when they actually encounter love, real, embodied, costly, expansive, beautiful, and Jesus-shaped love, then they sit up and take notice, don't they? I remember a young kid coming to our youth group only about two, uh, two years ago, and he coming from a, a non-Christian family. I remember Kay having all these chats with his mom. She couldn't understand how her son was so accepted and felt so loved in the context of a Friday night youth group community. And she said, well, man, we take him to all these other different programs, and, and even at school he has trouble fitting in and having a sense of belonging. But whatever you're doing on Friday night, he loves it and he feels a part of it. And then she couldn't believe that we actually ran this program for free and we kept trying to pay for it. And I was like, no, no, it's it's our joy to have him here and be a part of it. And it came to youth camp and we knew that their family was struggling. And so someone in our church stumped up the money for him. So we were able to go to, to the mum and say, you know what, your son is paid for. His he's spot at youth camp is guaranteed. And this mum who's just from outside the church being like, someone I don't even know, someone who doesn't even know my son reached into their own pocket and, and has paid for... And yep, that's what the church is. And that's what the church should look like. I remember many, many years ago, uh, a bunch of us helping someone else in the church just to move house. And that was a blessing. And they said, thank you so much for that. But what they came back with was, thank you so much for that, because the conversations I've been able to have with my work colleagues who don't get how a group of people who are not my family or not paid removalists would just drop everything on a Saturday and come on and help me move has opened so many gospel conversations. When people see, when they taste, when they experience, when they hear of what it looks like to love one another as Jesus has loved us, they sit up and they take notice. I got heaps of stories about that. I remember my sister staring blankly at me as I, as I shared, oh, like a bunch of people in church donated a bunch of clothes and a bunch of stuff when Emily was born. So, you know, we haven't had to go out and, and buy all this stuff. And she's thinking, there's a community that, that, that does that? It was, it was awesome. Or, or being at, at a wedding and I'd connected with someone who was a Christian. So there was, there was a Christian lady. So I was sitting opposite the table. Kay was in the bridal party. So she was off and I'd been dumped with someone else's partner who was also on the bridal party. He didn't know Jesus. So we'd been hanging out all day, sit down at this reception, work out the girl across from me, from me as a Christian. We start talking and we go to all these deep places. And this guy got like legitimately uncomfortable and he's like, whoa, whoa, nobody does that. What are you guys doing? We, you can't just talk about that. You've only just met. And like, my friend, like, we are Christians, like we're brothers and sisters, this is, this is how it works. We don't want the surface, we don't want the superficial, we don't want to just get through the event, we actually want to do something real and journey life for each, with each other. And I think it's important for us to understand that, that this is actually for all of us, that this isn't a sermon that is like uh, on some of the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we can just back away a little bit and go, oh, that's not my spiritual gift. That's actually for someone else. That's not my role in the body. That's for somebody else. Actually, that's not my personality. That's for, that's for somebody else. We want to kind of back away. We want to minimalize it. Uh, but John's not going to let us get off the hook on this one. Now, verse 7 continues, Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. There's no escape clause in this one for us. And he says it even more strongly in verse 20, that whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. 
For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he's given us this as a command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brothers and sisters. Quick clarifier, because that is quite confronting. John is here not proclaiming a salvation by works of love. Does that make sense? So he's not saying you must love one another in this way or that way in order to please God or in order to whatever it is. This is the John who all throughout his gospel account of Jesus' life says, all you have to do is believe and you have eternal life. You have eternal acceptance before the Father. Uh, He starts this letter with that similar phrase, that if you confess and repent, your sins will be forgiven and you'll be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Benny last week talked about, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Right? He doesn't say, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that he has opened up a doorway where we can earn in his favour really hard by working well at loving each other. Okay, So are we happy with that? That was some good gospel explanation in case you were wondering. But he does say it very strongly. And for me, this is quite akin to the discussion that James has on faith and deeds in his epistle. And it's that idea that the love of God, when we experience that, when we know him, when we receive that for ourselves, that should naturally overflow and then find expression in the way that we love each other. That to know God and to love God is so tightly connected with then loving other people that John can present this in this way. If you want, it's like a litmus test. If you want to see how much you're loving God, just pop the litmus test in how you're loving other people. And if that thing comes up that you're loving each other really well, then chances are that's a nice confirmation that you are walking in the love that God has shown you well. So speaking of the love that God has shown you, I would love it if you actually just shouted out some of the ways that God has loved you. What is it actually about God's love that moves you? What is it about God's love for you that impacts you? What is it about God's love that is a highlight or that that, that sticks out to you? You need to talk to other people about that first and brainstorm, or are you happy just to yell out some things? We can yell? We're yelling. I want to hear them. Room full of people just sung the praises of God. What is it about his love that sticks out for you, that really moves you, that inspires you? It's not conditional, unconditional love. Yet we don't earn it, we don't deserve it, and yet he lavishes it upon us. Yep, Romans 5 verse 8, yep. Nothing can separate us from his love. That's a pretty sweet thing in the context of human uh, loving relationships, isn't it? There's absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus, Romans 8. It's a little bit like the not deserving it, but it makes us feel like the most important and only person that matters. How cool is that? Even though everyone else matters, they can be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that, that link between you and God and the love that he shares for you, and if you were the only person around, you would still have sent Jesus to die. How do you top that? Yeah. Nice. Thanks, Mikey. Nice. Yeah. I guess that's a powerful love, right? That's cool. Love.
Yep. That's that strong grace element to his love, hey? Yeah, I was sharing with the morning service, and one of the things that, that really sticks out to me about God's love is he initiates and he pursues me. Even when I was far from him, I think that's part of your point, Glenn, um, even when I wasn't um, even remotely concerned with him, like it's at that moment that Christ is sent from heaven to enter the brokenness of our world, and, and not just only in my salvation, but all throughout my life I've seen this initiating, pursuing, purposeful love of God turn up time and time again. See, I think that's really important for us to ground our conversation about what it means to love each other in. There's a New Testament scholar called F.F. Bruce, and if you ever see one of his commentaries, grab it because he's super solid and read it and and be enriched. But he describes it this way. He says, The love which the New Testament encourages us to have involves a consuming passion for the well-being of others, and this love has its wellspring in God. The love that we are called to demonstrate to one another and live out involves a consuming passion for the well-being of others, and this love has its wellspring in God. So when we start talking about what it means to be a church who loves each other well, I'd love it if you frame it up in that way. We think feelings and we think romance and we think nebulous, but that consuming passion for the well-being of others has to find expression in the way that we treat each other. It has to look at the other person and say, well, how could they be blessed by me? How could I support them? How could I encourage them? How could I get alongside them? And What is it that I could do that would help lead them into wholeness and into who they're created to be? That is what we are called to as believers. And I think that's what one John is, well, John in one John is calling us to. I think that's what Jesus is calling his disciples to, this kind of, of robust and enacted love that sees each other and gets alongside each other and, and works towards the well-being of the other. But it's not always easy, hey? Or is it? No, it's really not easy. I find that I have a tendency to express love that's casual, that's convenient, and it's contained. I get inspired about showing love in a certain way, and I do that for a bit, and then I dip back out of it, kind of casually. It's like, oh, I'm going to write all these emails and encourage people, and I do that for a week, and then life takes over. Or even last night, Kay and I were having a conversation about a couple of believers that we know, and we're just like, oh, I think, I think they're struggling. I think it'd be really awesome if we invited them over for dinner. So we were prompted almost by the Spirit in that moment to work towards their well-being and get alongside them. But then immediately we have this conversation of, oh, but like, Nights are really hard because we've got programs and, and you're out this night and I'm out that night and then we've got a baby and a night routine with a baby. Just like it, it takes about three days to get a kid to bed, it seems, at night. It's like, how's this going to work? And so we just parked it in the, in the too hard basket. And this is knowing I'm preaching this today, okay? So, so even when you're like the most inspired about it, you're the most convicted about it, you're going to stand up and you're going to encourage everyone to do it. Even at that point, when things become too inconvenient or, or too hard, like even then we kind of almost want to shy away from it. And it just, uh, yeah, I said this morning that I got convicted um, that the answer is to get on with and, and do that. So you can ask me next week. So there you go. How's that? And you have 400 people holding me accountable on that, living this stuff out. But, but it's true. And, and we want to contain it. We want to contain it to the people that receive love well from us, our our inner circle, or whatever it is. And I get that there's a wisdom somewhere in this, so that we don't want to all be burning ourselves out and there's only so many relationships you can maintain and, and all that kind of stuff. But I think that's for like the 2% of people that default to that. I think most of us are down this end and we need a little bit of encouragement to maybe move towards a more Jesus-shaped love. And in Jesus, I see his love being committed and I see it being consistent and I see it being costly and I see it being comprehensive. And when I'm modelling my love off Jesus then it's a love that has no limits and it has no barriers and I actually think through that consuming passion for the well-being of others.
So I want to land somewhere that I think is really important, and it's where John lands it. It's verse 19, and it simply says this, that we love because he first loved us. When it actually comes to expressing love towards each other, this has to be the most important thing that we grab and we take hold of. His encouragement in verse 7 is, let us love one another, for this love comes from God. So I have the two pictures that I think that will help us understand this. I think often when it comes to loving others, we operate out of this scarcity mentality. We feel like we've only got so much love in us to, to give out, and then that love is that, is that precious, and we don't want it spoiled. So it's, it's this idea that you, you're in the desert, you got your little water pack, and so every now and again you go and get that filled up somewhere. Maybe you have some super spiritual encounter at church or at a youth group or whatever it is. This could go horribly wrong, but that's why we, that's why we love doing things at night and not in the morning. Haven't spilt a thing yet. So we feel that our love tank gets filled up. You know, someone says something really nice, so we get that encouraging note. Maybe we have some mad worship time, prophetic word, whatever it is, and we've got this little, little bit of water on our backs. And so we're walking through the desert with, with this, and we need to be really careful, obviously, because we've only got a finite amount of it. And we don't know when the next time is that we'll actually be at a watering hole. We don't know when the next time is that we fill it up. And so we start seeing what is in here as really precious to us. And as what we start to see is we start to see it as limited. And so we're going along and we need to make sure that there's enough for ourselves because we, we need love as well, so we take some on as well. And when it comes to others, we'd be really stingy and we want to measure out little bits. You know our communion cups? Yeah, stingy. Little cups... <laughs> little cups of love to people along the way, right? And, and what we're thinking in our head is like, well, well, I don't know when the next time I'm going to find an oasis. I don't know when the next time is I'm going to fill this up. I've only got so much. I need some for the journey. And so you want to make sure that you give it to someone who's not going to spill it, who's not going to waste it. You want to make sure that you're going to give it to someone who's not going to throw it back in your face or be unappreciative about it. So what you do is you look for people who are going to share theirs with you as well. And this is how we live, this scarcity mentality. I've only got so much, I don't know when it's coming, so I need to be really careful that I don't overextend and give too much love out. So that's one image. I think the image that John calls us to see and to sit in and to live from is this idea of God's love, God being the originator and the sustainer of all this love. This is the passage from last week. See what great love the Father has lavished upon us. Now, that word lavish means poured out. It means abundantly. It means that we've received without measure. And so the image is, is almost like there's this waterfall cascading over us and there's this great deep pool and we get to stand under this waterfall of God's love that, that, that just continues to flow. It, it never ends. It's unending. We are always soaked. We can always drink. We can always feel filled to the full measure of, of what it means to be loved because that's the nature of God. God's love. It is without measure and it is constant. Not even death can separate it. So when it comes to loving other people, all we need to do is find vessels, pick up a cup or a jug, a pot, whatever it is, scoop up the love that we have already received and give it to those who are in desperate need of a taste of it. Does that make sense? To not live from this place of scarcity and abundance that somehow we have a finite amount of love to give, but to sit in the rich depths, the abundance of God's love that each of us have received, that is ours in Christ Jesus. And from that place, let it flow out, let it overflow into the way that we see and the way that we treat each other. So how can we love like this? Because we are loved like this. 
This is the message that you've heard from the beginning. Let us love one another, because love comes from God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that each and every person here in this room is perfectly and wonderfully and eternally loved by you. That they don't need to earn that, they don't need to do certain things in order to maintain their position under that waterfall, but this, Father, is your disposition towards them. That you lavish upon us your love and your grace and your mercy, your presence in our life day after day. Father, on a message where it's talking about doing something, about loving one another and doing that better and, and more fully and, and more expansively, Father God, I, I pray that none of us sit in that place of, oh, I need to just, just try harder, I need to do this in my own strength or, or hear any kind of condemnation or judgment in that. God, let us hear an invitation in John's encouragement. We love because you first loved us. So let us position ourselves, our heart, our minds, our lives under that waterfall of your love. May we have a great sense that we are loved beyond measure. There is no amount of love that we can give out that would somehow mean that we run dry if we are drinking in deeply and wonderfully the love that you so lavishly pour out upon us. And Father, for us at, as a 5.30pm congregation, part of Parramatta Baptist Church, Lord, we just want to pray that your spirit will continue to prompt us on this, continue to empower us, continue to lead us. That we walk into this place and we look around and we see each other. And that deep within us, God, in response to your deep love for us, that we would have a consuming passion for the well-being of each other. And that would spill over into actions and prayers and invitations to lunch and uh, encouraging texts that are shot throughout the week. Whatever that is, Father, we just pray that this finds expression, that we would not just hear and receive the word and then go away and forget it like a person who's looked in the mirror and then walks away and immediately forgets what they look like, but we would actually live this out, that this would be true of us, that people would know us by our love for one another. And we just want to pray this because, Jesus, it would be such a blessing to experience that and to welcome others into that. And because, Jesus, we want you to be honoured and glorified and lifted high in this place. May your love be all-pervasive in this place, we pray. Amen.